What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Geno Time Podcast here on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. We are brought to you by Bet Online. My name is Tom Westerholm. I'm joined tonight by Nicole Yang, Chris Grenham, and guys, the Celtics have, apparently have a one-year deal out to Dennis Schroeder for the mid-level exception. And after seeing Dennis Schroeder skating on Instagram, just skateboarding around, apparently that's a big thing he does. I'm all in on the Dennis Schroeder experience. I think the Celtics should offer him one-year max deal, move some money around, figure out how to do it. Is skateboarding around, turning down $84 million extensions, just the Dennis Shooter experience, you know? Man's having a good time. I, I love it. <laughs> I feel like there's a lot uh, about Dennis Shooter's game and that situation that Celtics fans would not like, but I feel like they would like the skateboarding content as like a side deal while he plays for the Celtics for one season. If they could get like some skateboarding content out of it, I think it'd be a pretty good mix. The Celtics last week, Jake Fisher of Bleacher Report noted that the Celtics have some interest in Schroeder and kind of started that ball rolling. He makes a lot of sense roster wise. Then again, like we said, B-Rob today reported that the Celtics offer is the one year mid-level exception, which makes sense. Any thoughts on Schroeder? Any thoughts on, you know, his fit with the Celtics? Well, what do we think about that potential addition? I mean, it's another one year deal. Clearly, that's the only thing the Celtics are going to offer this offseason. I guess because the offer's been out there and he hasn't signed it yet, I assume he's still trying to see what else is out there and see what else, if he can get maybe more money or if he can find a winning situation. But as we've mentioned before, the Celtics do present an intriguing option for somebody on a one-year deal like Schroeder who can use this as an opportunity to like prove himself and hopefully play himself into a larger contract. If you're Dennis Schroeder, you're probably looking for better options and there's a damn good reason why he hasn't accepted the $9.5 million salary from the Celtics at this point. But Nicole makes a good point. Like There are probably worse situations out there. I'm sure there are other situations that he would not like to go to compared to Boston, but I just just think from a roster standpoint for the Celtics, yeah, it makes sense. If you could get him on that full mid-level exception at 9.5, he could potentially fill that starting point guard role. It would be an intriguing fit. You could also shift Marcus Smart and run him next to Schroeder. There's a number of things you could do. I'd be curious what Brad Stevens would do to maybe try and stay under that hard cap if they were to bring him in. I don't know if that would entail moving Chris Dunn, something like that, but that would be intriguing. But I just think if Dennis Schroeder does come to the Celtics, it's because he really doesn't like a lot of the other options on the table. The only reason I think that Schroeder and the Celtics might be a good fit from Schroeder's perspective is the fact that I think he is such an incredible pickup for them like not obviously he's not like a superstar but just like they need somebody like him very badly he would be a perfect fit if depth is the major problem and they go out and they get a you know veteran who can score a little bit and who you know who can handle the ball and who just you know has, has been around for a while like Schroeder Schroeder makes a huge difference on this team for sure so I mean if you can get him for the MLE for one year I mean that's an absolute steal again I'm guessing the fact that he hasn't just been like yes please to the you know MLE probably means that he has much better options out there but, you know, maybe the Celtics just keep calling and calling and telling him like, hey, man, you know, you're going to average 18 a game for us. And uh, maybe that's enough to get it done. No, the addition to Schroeder would be really important with how the Celtics roster is at the moment, right? Because it just the trickle down effect eliminates those wildly increased roles of guys like Peyton Pritchard, Romeo Langford that you would be relying on. You know what I mean? Like you don't want to rely on those guys as much as they currently are. 
Definitely. Also, if they don't sign Schroeder, like who else is even available? Like, I feel like this is sort of their last ditch effort here in bettering this roster, like not significantly, but like noticeably. And the funny thing is about it is like, you know, their last ditch effort, but they're still not going to deviate from next year's plan. So it's like a Hail Mary, like, please come for the MLE. And if he doesn't, it's going to be like, well, that sucks. Like, it's not going (laughs) to be like a make or break like championship thing. It's just like, oh, well, I guess this year's team is going to be butt. Like, who who, could have seen that coming? Looks like we're going with Diedrich Law. But also in the same way for Schroeder, it might end up being his like last option because just as much as the free agency pool is drying up for the Celtics, the suitors are drying up for Schroeder as well. The amount of teams with salary cap room or any sort of wiggle room is really shrinking by the day. And so at some point you could see Dennis Schroeder on the Celtics because both sides were like, we don't really have many other options here. And we're just kind of a match for the time being. And then we're going to move on next summer. Certainly a possibility. Let's move on to another guard. Chris Dunn had deal finalized with the Celtics. As of right now, Chris Dunn is a Celtic. I mean, I think there is some utility to keeping him. Just, you know, guard depth. Obviously, he's not a scorer at all, but he's such a good defender and he does bring you that little bit of extra guard depth. I'm curious what you guys think, you know, is is there a world where we see Chris Dunn on the roster by the start of the season or does this just kind of feel like, you know, a placeholder for him until they can find a new home? I think a lot of it depends on what they think of the current market. Are they really going to push to give the MLE to someone who's still out there? Because if that's the case, like we were just talking about with Schroeder, they bring him in on the full MLE, then they're probably going to have to move someone to stay under that hard cap. And that's probably Chris Dunn or someone like that. So I think a lot of that depends on their next move or their next plans. But in a world where he does end up on the roster, I do think there's value there. I mean, he's a long, athletic, really good defensive guard. And I think any team can use that off the bench if you're not relying on him to score. The only problem is the Celtics have a lot of guys coming off of their bench that aren't the greatest scorers. So you might want to fill that slot with a guy who could provide a couple more buckets than Chris Dunn can at the moment. That's what I was going to say, though, is like, he seems like a nice complimentary piece if you already have some scoring, but the Celtics, I mean, when you look on the bench and you actually need points, like they have three and D guys, but they're not even like fully realized three and D guys. So I don't know how much you can rely on just like a D guy. (laughs) Yeah. Neesmith shooting one for eight in his uh, summer league debut. Not the most encouraging of the Celtics three and D options off the bench. So he was with the Hawks last season. Like, was he just injured? Like, how did he? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He had surgery relatively early in the season, maybe even before the season, actually. And yeah, he played four games for them. He just never really got settled there. He's had some pretty serious durability problems throughout his career. What was his game like at Providence? He was so outrageously athletic at Providence that it made him look absolutely incredible. Like he was so much more athletic than everyone else out on the floor, which happens in college sometimes, right? You got a guy who's a good prospect, but just like uber athletic, could have played any sport and would have been really good. And he just like would cook opposing defenses because he was just quicker. He was stronger. He was really good at getting the basket. Honestly, I think obviously Big East defenses don't compare to NBA defenses, but Chris was a good offensive player in high school and college. He was really aggressive getting the hoop. He was a good North-South player, but at those levels, you can get away with not having as much of a jump shot. If you can get to the hoop that easily, you're that aggressive, you're that quick in the Big East, it doesn't really matter if you can't really shoot. That changes in the NBA. And teams just clamp down on that at the next level. So that really hurt him and his shoulder keeps acting up. He just has some pretty serious injury problems. Chris is still productive on defense, but he had much higher expectations obviously than what he's hit. And a lot of that is because you can't get by with that raw athleticism at the next level. Since I assume Grant 
Burnham has closely followed a fellow Friars career. What did go right for him with Chicago? Because he had a solid run there for a little bit. He had a really good role. I mean, that coaching staff loved him because he just worked his ass off on defense. And so he got minutes on those Bulls teams because he just worked really hard defensively. And at that point, he stayed healthier than he had at any other point in his career. And so his offensive game kind of started coming into form a little bit. And so when he found a little consistency, his game on both ends found a little consistency. And like I was saying before, he's super athletic. So he can, if he can stay on the court enough, he's a good player. He's a productive player. But then he started getting hurt again and it just kind of flopped around. But I mean, his his defensive skill set kept him on the floor and that helped him on the other end. I, I think there's more potential that he hangs around if somebody like Peyton Pritchard continues making shots. Like I talked about this uh, yesterday on the episode of B-Rob, but I think it's really interesting that Pritchard is a point guard, but also just like a deep, deep spot up guy. Because right. we haven't really seen that archetype very much in the NBA yet. With these like deep, deep guys are usually, you know, Dame Lillard's and, and Steph Curry's who can get to the rim, Trey Young who can get into the paint. Like that hasn't been who Pritchard is. He's just like a guy who can bring the ball up and then shoot from like 30. And that's kind of like the bulk of it. I think paired with somebody like Chris Dunn, you know, where to have those two different options, if you've got that one guy who can really spot up and shoot out there, and then you've got, you know, the guy who can come in and really lock down situationally, there could be some depth there. I think uh, with those two, maybe a little bit. You're right about his archetype being different from guys like Steph or Trey Young, that sort of thing. But that's, that's what the Hawks envisioned with Chris Dunn and Trey Young, because they had that guy who could shoot off the dribble and have the lockdown defender alongside him in the backcourt. So you're right, like that deep shooting threat, along with a guy who can lock down on the other end, it's a really, really nice pairing. And I definitely see the intrigue there. Also interesting if those are like your fourth and fifth offensive options, right? Like if no, the rest of the lineup is Jalen, Jason, and like Horford or something like that, like that's, or Rob, like that's a much more interesting group. Last thing we want to get into today, over the weekend, Jalen posted a tweet, a photo of himself with Jason Tatum. They appeared to be at a club, but probably in Vegas, because that's where Jalen is now. And uh, Jalen was wearing Tatum's, his gold medal, and he was, he was biting it, and you know they looked like they were having a great time together. And I thought it was really interesting because obviously there has been a pretty fair amount of narrative out there this summer about how those two, you know, aren't friends and how they don't really hang out. And, you know, it made me wonder if, I mean, we've talked about it on this pod, like from what we've seen in the locker room, they didn't look close. But then the more I thought about it, the more I was like, well, also we haven't seen them since March, 2020. Like, we don't know how those two are. Like maybe they've gotten closer over the years and, or maybe they just were always close and they weren't close in the locker room. I thought it was a very interesting tweet for a lot of reasons, maybe also because because Jalen posted like dot, 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 which made me think, wait a minute, Jalen has heard all of this and wants to, you know, put out a different message. So all in all, just kind of like a a fascinating tweet from like a million different levels. I think the first person to report that Jalen and Jason weren't as close as people might assume for two young players on the same team. I think that first came from Jeff Goodman. So yes, I think one of the initial ones actually like was a story that Gary Washburn wrote in the Globe, like maybe like a year before that Goodman report too. Like Gary framed it as like, do Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum really need to be friends? Basically his framing was like, look, these guys are both very effective young players. They're both really good. So one way or the other, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't completely new to the discussion when Jeff said it. Regardless, I'll say that Jeff Goodman was one of the first people to like, actually like, I think take a stance on the issue. 
say that they aren't as close as people might think and that they don't actually hang out. Jeff Goodman and Jason Tatum are very close. Like whenever Jeff Goodman is in the Celtics locker room, he will get time with Jason Tatum. Jason Tatum will be engaging. He'll be smiling. Like Jeff Goodman knows Tatum's mom. Like they've had a relationship back since when I think Tatum was in high school. So I would trust a report like that from Jeff Goodman. I don't think it's like something as black and white of like, oh, they've always been best friends or like, oh, they've always been sort of like anti. Like, I'm sure it's just this fine line of like a normal working relationship. Like, I don't really think it's definitive one way or the other. Like when people were quote tweeting Jalen Sweet being like, see, all of that stuff was ridiculous. Like, no, that's not true. Right. Right. Not at all. But it's good to see the two superstars hanging out. That's a great sign. Like nothing against that photo, but I just don't think that it's like, oh, they're best friends or, oh, they're like constantly at war. Like everybody who was like, no, they've been best friends this whole time. No, 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 no. Like that's people sort of brushing off Jeff's reporting. Like, yeah, people who I I promise you are not in the Celtics locker room. Like a lot of people who are just not in the Celtics locker room, because if you are in that Celtics locker room, I'll tell you, I mean, two things I'll tell you. Number one, everything Nicole said, like about Jeff Goodman, like, you know, that dude is as good as it gets when it comes to being like plugged in with, with young basketball players, with like knowing these types of things, like specifically Jason Tatum and, and especially Jason Tatum. Yes. He's like, like everything. And then number two, everything that we have seen in the locker room, like when we hear Jeff Goodman say that, we say, ah, that makes sense. We don't go, oh, like that's crazy. Or, oh, like, you know, I never would have seen that coming. We're all just like, hmm, yeah, from what we had seen, I 100% could believe that. But again, we, none of us have been in the locker room in two years. Like, and I, I think to me, that was that was a very interesting and kind of enlightening tweet, not because they're best friends, but it, it, it felt like very much like, an, no guys, we're fine, you know, playing together type thing on, on Jalen's end. But I think Nicole's point about this this just being a normal working relationship yeah. is like the biggest possibility in play here, right? Because totally. correct me if I'm wrong, the Goodman report was a little while ago, but it wasn't like Jeff Goodman said they hate each other or anything. He was just like, they're not hanging out every day off the court. Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum aren't like Javante Green and Jason Tatum, that kind of thing. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's possible that this is just a normal working relationship. They don't hang out every day off the court. And when there's an MBPA event in Vegas and the entire USA team comes to Vegas and they're at a club together and they start hanging out because they're teammates and they're whatever. It's a normal working relationship. And I understand that the speculation just shoots off from this kind of stuff. But like, I think that is in my brain, the most likely scenario at play here, which I think is pretty normal. Honestly, what I found most interesting about the tweet was the fact that Jalen tweeted dot, 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 dot. Exactly. Maybe we're reading into things, but I think that's a clear indication that he's heard the conversation about their relationship. For sure. Like, I also think it's important to put into context, like, I'm not trying to diminish the photo. Like, I still think it's, like, notable. But Jalen Brown was in Las Vegas for Summer League. He's clearly promoting his juice line. And he's had a history of getting involved at Summer League to engage with the rookies. And he's held, like, summits before and things like that. The whole Team USA flew to Vegas. It's a, like, flight from Tokyo. Like, that's a natural stop. Tatum isn't, like, the only one there. Like, Bam Adebayo was sidelined. Keldon Johnson was wearing his gold medal on the sidelines, 
like multiple members are there. So like if they're both in the same city and like Tatum just comes back, like I can see how they're hanging out. It's not like they like arranged this like special trip once the Olympics were over so they could like see each other. (laughs) Put that into context too. Again, I'm not trying to downplay it. I, I just, I'm trying to just maybe emphasize like how regular this is, I guess. Like this was very like. It's normal. Exactly. No, that's exactly right. The mechanics of the NBA are a lot more like the reason for that photo than like a great relationship between totally. Jay and Jalen. <laughs> and exactly. And I guess the larger point is, is that photo doesn't all of a sudden like alter my opinion on their relationship. Right. But the but the dot, 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 dot is the thing that makes you go, oh, but Jalen has heard this. Exactly. So like that that's interesting for sure. Exactly. I mean, I think Grenham phrased it well, like Jason Tatum and Javante Green are not Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. And that's okay. That's that's just the way that it is. And it seems to be working out okay so far. I think that's right. All right. So, Granum, why don't you tell us a little bit more about our good pals at the Shades on Beer Company? Yes, our good pals at Shades on Beer Company. They're the makers of the Genotime Stout. And they're going to bring you this Genotime draft. We're going to be going through the options at Point Guard. You can check out their beer garden and tasting room in West Kingston, Rhode Island. Keep an eye out for the Genotime Stout. If you're in New England in the Boston area, and for all Shades on Beer Company products. They have plenty of great products beyond just the Genotime Stout. Of course, we're a little biased here, but if you're in Rhode Island, check out the Shades on Beer Garden and Tasting Room, which is down in West Kingston. All right, so for our draft, we're just going to kind of go through the various options the Celtics have at point guard and talk about which one we think makes the most sense going into the season. So I'm going to assume that Nicole is going first, as usual. Uh, So Nicole, why don't you tell me uh, who's going second? Oh, one moment, please. <laughs> Nicole needs the rigged. <laughs> She's defined uh, going to her notes. She needs to the plug order. in the right algorithm to rig the, uh, the order. Wow! So Tom actually got the first pick on this randomization. Wow! But yeah. I'm still gonna go first for the bit. Yeah. <laughs> for the bit, yeah. <laughs> then Tom, then Chris. <laughs> okay. All right. That's actually the first time though where I legitimately did not get the first pick. So I'm trying to decide if I believe you. Okay. So I guess my, I'm between like two options, which are after one summer league game, bring Yamadar over, just <laughs> get it going now. See what, how it goes in the NBA or sign Dennis Schroeder. And I'm going to lean with the latter. I think as we discussed earlier in this episode, it just is an easy way for the Celtics to elevate their roster, an easy way to add some scoring, which they desperately need. Schroeder has played, I mean, with the Lakers, it didn't go as well as maybe his time in the Thunder alongside Chris Paul, but like he has experience. And I just think the Celtics, if they can get somebody of his caliber, which isn't even like top tier NBA, but like get somebody of his caliber on a one-year deal won't interfere with their long-term plan hopefully they can win a couple more games and like make the season a little bit more fun more competitive then why not yeah that makes sense I mean I think I think honestly that is the best option so I'll I'll go a little bit different and this one is more of like an eye on the future but also just kind of like like I like having some versatility and some options I think going into the season actually kind of standing pat you know so you keep Marcus Smart start him bring in Peyton Pritchard and give him like a bigger role obviously I'm overreacting to one summer league game but like the dude can flat out shoot and I think that's just going to continue to be the case I think it's very notable that he is so much better than summer league like it's just clear like just shut Peyton Pritchard down he doesn't need any of this that I think is kind of noteworthy for the Celtics depth and their rotation so for my third option I, I will go with just bringing over Juwan Begarin like the fact that he is so big and so able to switch everything was really interesting there's some 
something really interesting with that kid. I don't know what it is yet, but I think it would be kind of cool to give him a shot with the Celtics and just kind of, again, you're probably not going to play him many minutes that matter, but maybe if you kind of have a better sense of like what he is as a player after this season, there would be some use there because especially when you're trying to evaluate what you might do about bringing Yamadar over because it feels like there's a little bit of a clog there. So So with Yam, they would have to buy out his contract. What's Juan's status? I don't know if he's currently under contract in Paris or not. He was playing for Paris last year, but I'm not positive what the buyout scenario is. Right. So the Celtics would have to pay Tel Aviv like roughly 800 grand, I think is what it yep. would come out to be. Yeah. I don't know what the situation with Juwan is, but I think that's an interesting point that when we were talking about him right after the draft, I never really considered yeah. how important the, you know, switchability was on defense because he's so damn big and he moves so well. It's pretty impressive. And that is some nice versatility to throw at the end of the bench and just kind of work with and develop. That would have never been on my radar even like a week ago, but I think that's a, a noteworthy choice. You know? Yeah, I mean, I think the reason it wouldn't have been on our, our radars is because like we were watching him play film like overseas where the yeah. bigs are all actual bigs. Whereas in the NBA, so many of the bigs are small ball bigs. So it's like, yeah, like in a pinch, he can probably just kind of like force a six nine guy out of the paint one time. But yeah, when it's like a seven foot one, like, you know, bearded behemoth, it's like, yeah, it's a little more difficult for the six five guy to get in there. So for my picks, I like the idea of standing pat. Say Dennis Schroeder goes elsewhere. He doesn't want to go into one-year deal, take the 9.5, and he goes elsewhere. So say you stand pat, you run with Marcus Smart, Peyton Pritchard, you keep Chris Dunn because you don't have to avoid getting hard capped. And so you have the Chris Dunn, Peyton Pritchard pair in the backcourt, which I love. I'm very biased toward Chris Dunn, but I like that quite a bit. You let Marcus Smart operate as your point guard and you kind of approach next offseason just with your current status. The other one would be bringing over Yamadar just because I feel like we have to talk a little bit about Yamadar. I mean, he was, he was fun. And I think he was pretty impressive defensively. You know, he's a flashy point guard who can create for himself. He can create for his teammates. And I think that sometimes takes away from people focusing on his defense. Like he's a pretty pesty defender. Like, I don't know. I, I was pretty impressed on both ends of the floor with him. So I think that's just an intriguing possibility. I don't know how realistic it is. I don't know how willing the Celtics are to pay his buyout. Who really knows what the status is there, but he's certainly an intriguing player and uh, gave us lots of room to overreact after his first showing in a Celtics uniform. But if the Celtics bring over Yamadar, is that the end of Chris Dunn? Or like, what do you think the corresponding move is? Because they do have 15 players already. Maybe Jabari? Maybe Jabari. I think it would make more sense to send Jabari packing personally. And that is, I'm trying to put bias aside here, but, but really like, come on. But that's a lot of point guards. Grenham realistically is cool with any option as long as Chris Dunn stays on the team. <laughs> we got to get rid of Tatum to keep him around. <laughs> Do it. Do it. Jalen who? <laughs> Never heard of him. Grenham's just every Celtics fan uh, on draft night in 2016 yelling. Wearing my custom-made Chris Dunn jersey. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, I think on that note, we can call it a pod. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We appreciate you all. Thank you to anybody who's left us a five-star rating or a review. We appreciate it. And we will talk to you all again later this week.